0: If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. we got, to, got a few. We'll be happy to share one with you. Anybody need a Bible tonight? Deuteronomy chapter 20. And can you believe it? After tonight, one more week in Deuteronomy. Wow. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, Moses schedules in advance a promised land pep rally. For in just a few days, the children of Israel will cross over the Jordan River. And when they do, they are instructed to proceed to the heart of the land, to a slender valley called the Valley of Shechem. There north of this valley is a mountain called Ebal. South of this valley is a mountain called Gerizim. Here's a photo. You're looking at it from the east. Mount Gerizim's on the left, Mount Ebal's on the right. The little town of Noblus is in the middle. Nobles now is probably the most populous town on the West Bank. Both mountain peaks rise to about 3,000 feet. And so imagine a million people on one mountain, another million people on the other mountain, half the tribes on one, half the tribes on the other, and then think of a high school pep rally. The goal now is to get the student body fired up, to get everybody excited about Friday night's game. And so half the kids are in one set of bleachers. Half the kids are in the other set of bleachers. And you hear the chant start. We got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? And back and forth, back and forth it goes. With each exchange, the volume, the intensity builds. That's the sort of thing that happened over the Valley of Shechem. Because God gives to the nation a series of blessings and curses. From Mount Ebal, the curses will be shouted. From Mount Gerizim will come the blessings. It will actually occur in Joshua chapter 8. It must have been a spine-tingling, producing experience. But the plan for the pep rally is first discussed by Moses here in Deuteronomy chapter 27. Now Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. And it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. You shall write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over. That you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers promised you. Notice their first act upon entering the promised land was not a celebration as much as it was a dedication. A memorial to the law of God was to be established in the new land. Israel's entrance into the land was not just the end of their slavery and their wilderness wandering, but it was the beginning of a new age that would be tied to God's law. Their obedience would dictate their blessing. Their disobedience would cause their hardship. God's Ten Commandments had been written on stone tablets, and thus a memorial of stones was to be erected. Therefore, it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan that on Mount Ebal... You shall set up these stones which I command you today and you shall whitewash them with lime and there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings and shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. Uncut stones were to be used. No iron tool was to be involved. Hey, there was nothing man-made or flesh-fashioned about God's law. It had come from his hand. It had been born in his heart. And thus, no human ingenuity, no human craftsmanship went into this memorial altar. When the people looked at these whitewashed stones, God wanted them to remember that their salvation was His work and His work alone. Then Moses and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. The nation was born Therefore, you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. Verse 11, and Moses commanded the people on that same day saying, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim. He's planning this pep rally to bless the people when you have crossed over the Jordan. Here are the six tribes, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse six tribes, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. Six tribes on one mountain, six tribes on the other mountain. Remember the word gerizim, it means fruitful harvest, while the word Ebal means barrenness. I ran across a description of Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim that explains possibly how one was chosen for the blessings and the other was picked for the uttering of the curses. Clark writes, Gerizim abounds with springs, gardens, and orchids and it's covered with a beautiful verdure while Ebal is as naked and barren as a rock. No wonder Gerizim was the Mountain of blessing, Ebal, was the mountain of curses. Now, I've never been to the Valley of Shechem. I've wanted to go. But today, it's located in the West Bank. It's in Palestinian territory. But one of the most monumental events in Hebrew history took place there 3,400 years ago. A prophecy of Israel's future echoed from the peaks of these mountains. They say that the Valley of Shechem is actually a natural amphitheater that the acoustics there are incredible. And what's said on the mountaintops can be heard throughout the entire valley. The sound just travels and reverberates. I want you to know up front the colossal significance of tonight's chapters. Deuteronomy 27 and 28 reveal God's Old Testament plan of evangelism. God intended to convert the pagan nations of the world by how he treated Israel. If Israel obeyed his law, God intended to bless Israel with prosperity beyond what anybody before or since had ever experienced. He would lavish blessing upon them if they obeyed him. But if Israel disobeyed God's law... He promised to heap such curses on his people that the attention of the world would be drawn to Israel. The nations will either say, Wow, look at Israel's treasures. Their God must truly be the one true God. Or the nations will look on Israel and say, Wow, look at Israel's troubles. Their God is just and righteous. A God who means what he says. Surely, Israel's God is the one true God. But either way, God was going to be glorified through Israel, for better or for worse. Verse 14, And the Levite shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, Cursed is the one who makes any carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of of the hands of the craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed is the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt. And all the people shall say, Amen. If you're a parent of a teenager, you shall say, Amen and Amen. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark. And all the people shall say, amen. Cursed is the one who makes the blind to wander off the road and all the people shall say amen. Cursed is the one who perverts the justice to the stranger, the fatherless and the widow and all the people shall say amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's bed and all the people shall say amen. And remember, this word amen is not just a filler phrase. It's an affirmation. To say amen is basically to say, so be it, or right on, or you betcha, or absolutely, or you can take that to the bank. That's what it means to say amen. Cursed is the one who lies with any kind of animal, and the people shall say Amen. I shall say amen and amen. (laughs) Cursed is the one who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother. Sex with a stepsister is incestuous and wrong. And all the people shall say amen. And cursed is the one who lies with his mother-in-law. And I'm sorry... But this is one sin that I just can't understand. Your mother-in-law? Friend, you're not only cursed, you're stupid. <laughs> and all the people shall say, amen. amen. <laughs> cursed is the one who attacks his neighbor secretly. And all the people shall say, amen. Amen. Cursed is the one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Haley's Bible Handbook makes an interesting statement. It says, the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy, placed alongside the history of the Hebrew nation, constitutes one of the most astounding and indisputable evidences of the divine inspiration of the Bible. The blessings and curses that will now be discussed in chapter 28 form uncanny parallels to the ups and downs of Hebrew history. Reading Deuteronomy chapter 28 is like reading a history book before it happens. Chapter 28 begins with the blessings, but it ends with the curses. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And it is amazing how the Jewish people have been set high among the nations of the earth. It's amazing how God has elevated Hebrew people to positions of prominence far beyond their proportionate numbers. Of the 6,599,000,000 people that now populate the earth, only 13 million are Jews. That's about one-half of 1%. Yet, did you know that 15% of all Nobel Prize winners are Jewish? Two of our nine U.S. Supreme Court justices are Jewish, Breyer and Ginsburg. Bud Selig, commissioner of the Major League Baseball. David Stern, commissioner of the NBA. And Paul Tagliabue, commissioner of the NFL. The commissioners of all three big leagues sports in America are all Jewish. Sasha Cohen and Emily Hughes. You saw them. They were our U.S. Olympic figure skaters. They're both Jewish. Arthur Blank, owner of the Atlanta Falcons. Arthur is Jewish. Albert Einstein, Sigmund Freud, Karl Marx, even Groucho Marx. (laughs) They were all Jewish. Henry Kissinger was Jewish. Paul Newman is Jewish. Robert Zimmerman, a.k.a. Bob Dylan, he also is a Jew. Did you know that Elvis Presley had a Jewish grandma, great-grandma, Elvis Presley? Sandy Koufax, the greatest pitcher of all time, was Jewish. Chris... He could go all the way. Berman. I didn't do that right, but he's Jewish. American Idol fans will be interested to know that Paula Abdul is Jewish. It's astounding that so many of our celebrities come from such a small population of Jews. And yet Moses said, God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. That's being blessed all the time, isn't it? The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Just read the exploits of Joshua and Gideon and Deborah and Samson and Samuel and David. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and all to which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. In the days of David and afterwards under the reign of King Solomon, Israel was actually a world empire. During those reigns, it was the most prosperous nation on the earth. God did exactly what he said verse 9 the lord will establish you as a holy people to himself just as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the lord your god and walk in his ways then all peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the lord and they shall be afraid of you this is exactly what happened first kings chapter 10 you remember when the queen of sheba visited solomon she marveled she looked on looked on and she was astounded Here's what she said. It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes and indeed the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. You remember God's Old Testament plan of evangelism. If Israel obeyed, he was going to bless Israel to such an extent that the world would look on and marvel and conclude that truly the God of Israel must be the one true God. And that is exactly what happened. The queen of Sheba was a convert. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If, and this proved to be a pretty big if, you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right hand or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. But in verse 15, the curses begin. For if Israel disobeys God's law, he will surely curse them. Before we read these verses, I want to tell you, a friend of mine once saw a documentary on the Holocaust. He told me about it later. And there were various photos shown in the documentary. And under many of the images were verses from Deuteronomy chapter 28. These verses contained some grisly and ominous warnings that Israel should have heeded. And because she didn't, God brought curses upon His people Israel. Verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all His commandments and His statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Famines will be frequent. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. That's being cursed just about all the time. The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until He has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. And your heavens which are over your head shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you shall be like iron." The land will be fallow and barren. The skies will produce no rain. And Israel's prayers will bounce off a bronze ceiling. Verse 24. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And no one shall frighten them away. Do you get the impression God was serious about them obeying his commandments and worshiping him as their one true God? If time permitted, we could chart Jewish persecution through the centuries. In 586 BC, the Babylonians sacked Jerusalem, and they burned the temple, and then they deported the Jews to Babylon. They returned 70 years later in the days of Ezra. In 70 AD, oh, about 600 or so years later, Jerusalem was once again razed to the ground, and the temple burned. This time by the Romans. A century later, they drove the remaining Jews from their homeland to foreign lands. And Jews have been a dispersed people scattered all over the world ever since. For several centuries, it was actually illegal for a Jew to live in Jerusalem. And for the two millenniums since those days until recent times, the Jews have been hated and persecuted everywhere they've tried to settle literally they have been cursed when they come out and when they go when they come in and when they go out when the jewish leaders rejected jesus and called for his crucifixion they sealed their fate when they cried his blood be on us and on our children the rejection of their messiah unleashed the curses of deuteronomy chapter 28 And for the last 2,000 years, the Jews have been pushed from one ghetto to the next, banished from country after country. They were victimized by Europe's crusades, by Spain's inquisition, by the pogroms in Russia, ultimately the death camps in Nazi Germany. Names like Auschwitz and Dachau and Ravensbrück conjure up horrific images. Six million Jews died in these death camps. Did you know the word holocaust means burnt offering in German? And on behalf of the church, let me repent. For the role Christians have played in the torture of Jewish people is disgraceful. In the Middle Ages, the Roman church felt it was their duty to help God enact these curses. And so they devised ways to persecute Jews. When Crusader armies left Europe to liberate the Holy Land from the Muslims, on the way to Palestine, they found clusters of Jews where they tortured them and murdered them. They burned down whole neighborhoods. They called the Jewish race Christ killers. And here's the result. They pushed the Jews away from their very own Messiah. Today, most Jews have, the totally, have a totally contorted conception of Christianity. Rather than a message of love and redemption as we view Christianity, they view Christianity as a religion of hate. To most Jews, Billy Graham is a good Christian. Adolf Hitler was a bad Christian, but both of them are Christians. Christians. Hey, as a Christian, I am a spiritual Jew. I have been grafted in to the Jewish covenant. My Savior is the Jewish Messiah. My future is tied to Israel. The covenants I enjoy were given first to the Jews. And it is my desire to show my debt of gratitude and to do all that I can to draw the Jewish people to their Messiah, Jesus Christ, by showing them his love and his grace and his mercy. And that should be the desire of every Christian. Well, God saw to it that a disobedient Israel would be cursed. The church sure didn't need to help. Verse 27 continues the curses. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. And you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall be only oppressed and plundered continually, and no one shall save you. Over and over these curses came upon the Jews. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not gather its grapes. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes. You shall not eat of it. Your donkey shall be violently taken away from before you, and you shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, and you shall have no one to rescue them." Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people and your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all day long and there shall be no strength in your hand. This is what the Nazis did when they split families apart and they packed the trains with Jews and hauled them off to the concentration camps. Again, we could put this verse under the caption of that picture. A nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. So you shall be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes have seen. As one Jew said, he wasn't sure whether he really liked the idea of being the chosen people. God certainly gave them special attention. The Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils which cannot be healed. And from the sole of your foot to the top of your head, the Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. And this did happen when the Jews were exiled to Babylon for those 70 years. You remember, Babel was the birthplace of idolatry. It was as if God were saying, if you want to worship idols, then I'll let you go where idolatry was invented. And he sent them back to Babylon. And you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations where the Lord will drive you. Israel, the word Israel will become a synonym for the word curse. Verses 38 through 42 warns that the locusts will eat their seed. And the worms will spoil their crops in wine. That the olives will literally drop off the trees before they can be harvested. That the Jewish children will be taken captive. He says that Gentiles will become more prosperous than Jews. Verse 44. He shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, the Gentiles. And you shall be the tail, the Jews. Verse 45. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep His commandments and His statutes which He commanded you. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, Therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Israel was the beneficiary of incredible blessing. Just think of the miracles around the Exodus. Think of the wilderness wanderings. God fed them with manna from heaven, water from the rock. Think of how he intervened for them time and time again. What they didn't realize was that with those blessings, with those privileges, came responsibility. God blessed them, but he expected in return for them to be obedient. And when they didn't, the curses were heavy and numerous. Verse 49 The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth. As swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which does not respect the elderly nor show favor to the young. They'll be cruel, they'll be tyrannical. And both Babylon and Rome marched under the emblem of an eagle. The next few verses describe how their respective sieges wiped out Israel. Verse 53. You shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you, in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. In both sieges, the Roman and Babylonian people became so hungry that they resorted to cannibalism. In 70 AD, the Romans surrounded Jerusalem. They cut off the supply lines. The goal was to starve the Jews into surrender. Great numbers of people scaled the wall to forage for food. Most Jews were captured and crucified, as many as 500 per day. More than 600,000 people starved to death during the siege. In all, over a million people died. 97,000 were taken captive. Verse 54, The sensitive and very refined man among you, Will be hostile toward his brother, toward the wife of his bosom, and toward the rest of his children whom he leaves behind, so that he will not give any of them the flesh of his children whom he will eat, because he has nothing left in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemies shall distress you at all your gates. You got to be pretty hungry to want to eat your own kids. The tender and delicate woman among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity, will refuse to the husband of her bosom and to her son and her daughter her placenta, which comes out from between her feet and her children whom she bears, for she will eat them secretly for lack of anything in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. If you do not carefully observe all the words of the law, that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, He will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you, Also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of this law will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed. You shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven in multitude. And why? Because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And let me suggest that the greatest holocaust, according to Scripture, is still yet to come. All of the persecution that has gone before will pale in comparison to the hatred that the last days Antichrist will show toward the Jewish people. And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked from off the land which you go to possess." Then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. And for the last 2,000 years, this has been the Jewish headline. Even today, even in their own homeland, the Jews still fear a nuclear holocaust. They still are afraid of the Islamic bomb. They still have no security. They have no assurance that tomorrow they'll see day. Verse 67, in the morning you shall say, oh, that it were evening. And at evening you shall say, oh, that it were morning, because of the fear which terrifies your heart and because of the sight which your eyes see. And the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships by the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again, and there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. My, oh my. Talk about the ultimate turn of fortunes. They left Egypt no longer slaves, free, liberated, alive, with a new land before them. But because they didn't take responsibility for the privileges they had been getting, because they didn't thank God for the blessings, because they didn't obey the word of God, they ended up right back where they started in the same situation they were in when they left. They were sold as slaves in Egypt. After the sacking of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, the Romans sold 97,000 Jews in the Egyptian salt mines They say there were so many slaves that the supply exceeded the demand. In chapter 29, Moses reminds the Hebrews that they're going into this new land to uproot a wicked people. They are going to be his instrument of judgment. But he warns them not to adopt the practices for which the Canaanites are about to be destroyed. Irony of all ironies would be for God to judge these people with Israel, and then turn around and judge Israel for committing the very same crimes. He begins the chapter with a history lesson, and I'm going to summarize a few verses for time's sake. He talks about the miracles in Egypt, the covenant that he made with Israel at Mount Horeb. He talks about God's provisions in the wilderness, their initial victories east of the Jordan. God was faithful despite the hardness of their hearts. And in verse 14, he says, I make this covenant and this oath not with you alone, but also with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. For you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt and that we came through the nations which you passed by and you saw their abominations and their idols which were among them, wood and stone and silver and gold so that there may be, no, may be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose hearts turn away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, and that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood, and so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace even though I walk in the indignation of my heart as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. He's saying, take these warnings seriously. I mean, don't be like the man who hardens his heart and says, oh no, this won't happen to me. Have you noted The delusional and the numbing effect that worldly pleasures can have on a person. Like the man who gets fired from his job, his wife divorces him, his kids can't stand him, his dog bites him, and yet after a bottle of wine, he's doing fine. Happy as a lark. It's a delusion. Don't ever use your feelings to measure your spiritual condition. Feelings are too fickle. They're dependent on too many variables. If you want to analyze where you're at with God, check His Word. Check His Word. And God's Word assures the man who follows after other gods, verse 20, that the Lord would not spare him. For then the anger of the Lord and His jealousy would burn against that man And every curse that is written in this book would settle on him, and the Lord would blot out his name from under heaven. In fact, God's plagues upon the idolater will remind us of what God did to Sodom. And that's what he talks about in the next few verses. Verse 23, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. The next few verses, again, emphasize God's Old Testament plan of evangelism. God is going to judge Israel to get the attention of the nations. And they'll ask, why did God uproot Israel from the land in His anger and in His wrath and cast them into another land? And they'll be told how Israel worshipped false gods. Hey, do you get the impression that if you go off and do your own thing and don't listen to God and don't serve the Lord, that some bad things are going to happen to you. Do do you get that impression? So do I. Verse 29 is an interesting verse. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. In other words, never let what you don't know distract you from what you do know. You know, there are a million mysteries in life all of which will get unraveled one day in heaven. But today, God has his secrets. I'm always stunned by the fact that Job never read the first two chapters of the book of Job. Job, to the end of his life, never understood what had happened to him and why it had happened. And yet God still expected Job to trust in his sovereignty. Here is a level of faith that we all need to reach where we accept God as God, where we conclude that God doesn't owe us an explanation for what He does, nor does He need my permission to do it, that God can do whatever He wants and I'll still worship Him. I love the quote What's over my head is still under my feet. I'm sorry. What's over my head is still under God's feet. Hey, an infinite God shouldn't be expected to explain every mystery, every move to finite minds just so we'll reverence Him and and respect Him. In fact, I'm thankful that God maintains some mystery, maintains some things that are impossible for me to decipher. Hey, if puny creatures like you and me could figure God out, He wouldn't be much of a God, would he? He wouldn't be someone that I could respect. This is why we're told the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Remember Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Here's the point of verse 29. Don't let God's secrets, His mysteries, divert you from His clear commands. Let God have His secrets. What He reveals, you need to obey. As Mark Twain once said, It ain't those parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's those parts of the Bible I do understand and need to obey. Chapter 30. Now it came to pass, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey His voice, according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you, and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Even after all of these curses, God still loves his people, and he's still committed to the covenant, and the plan he has for Israel will not fail. In Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 8 and 9, Nehemiah quotes the two verses that we just read from Deuteronomy. And he uses those verses to remind God of his promise to bring back Israel. In Nehemiah's day, he was was living in Persia, in Shushan. But he knew that God had promised that the Jews would return to the land. And he called in God's marker. He said, God, you promised And God used Nehemiah to lead a contingent of Jews back to the land, just as he had promised, to rebuild the walls. In fact, the Jews returned from Babylon in three ways, remember, under Zerubbabel first, under Ezra, and then later under Nehemiah. But we've seen another return to Israel of the Jews now in modern times. It's amazing that after 2,000 years, God is again, in our day, bringing his people back to the land. At the end of World War II and the Holocaust, boatloads of European Jews, survivors of the Holocaust, sailed into Israel's harbors and began to reestablish themselves in the land. In the 1980s, airplanes packed with Soviet Jews landed in Tel Aviv. Ethiopian Jews were airlifted to Israel. In the modern era, Jews are returning to the land, and it is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Verse 5, Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. You know, it's interesting. After the Holocaust, the British first offered the Jewish people what is today Uganda as a potential Jewish homeland. That was the offer on the table at first. But the Jews refused Uganda, and here's why. God promised to bring Israel back to the land which their fathers possessed, back to the land that He had given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That particular parcel of land was very, very important to them. It was God's promised land. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers, and this is happening today before our very eyes. I read recently where Israel's population is now about to hit 7 million people. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Eight days after birth, Jewish males were circumcised. And the circumcision of heart also speaks of a birth, but birth. It speaks of being born again. When we embrace Jesus as our Lord, His Spirit operates on our spirit. He circumcises or cuts back that sin nature. He makes us sensitive of heart and spiritually compliant. Whereas once we were hard-hearted, now He makes us soft-hearted. Sadly, this kind of circumcision has yet to happen to the Israeli people. Today, despite God's obvious and bountiful blessing, Israel is still a predominantly secular state. Israelis today respect the Bible. They acknowledge the role of religion in their history. But the people have yet to experience the spiritual revival predicted here. And yet they will. In Revelation, we are told of the 144,000 Jewish witnesses that emerge in the last days. They'll be the result of a great revival in Israel. And they'll testify of Jesus. That revival will take place. But the return to the land takes place first. You remember, we studied you know, several months ago. The new covenant involves three promises. Do any of you guys remember the three parts of the new covenant? Regathering to the land. Regeneration of heart. And reestablishment of the kingdom. But it takes place in that order. The regathering precedes the regeneration. And so today the Jews are being regathered to the land. One day they'll be revived spiritually. Verses 7 through 10 assures us that the day will come when God again will curse Israel's enemies and rejoice over his people. He'll restore his blessing to an obedient people. Verse 11 For this commandment which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you. And the challenge God is about to present to Israel is not too deep for them to understand. That's what he's saying. This is not too mysterious for you, nor is it too far off. It's not too high. This is not not a too lofty a concept for you to grasp now. You know, some people think of God in religion. Oh, that's too complicated. Oh, I'll just leave that stuff for the theologians and the preachers. I, I I don't get into the Bible. You can't understand the Bible anyway. Not so. You see, a relationship with God is much more simple than you realize. Verse 12 says, It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. God's salvation is as close to you as the tip of your tongue. God's challenge to Israel is simple. It's extremely clear. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to follow God. It is so simple that a child can come. You know, it's interesting. Moses spoke these words as he delivered the old covenant to Israel. But Paul will quote this very same passage in Romans chapter 10 as he challenges you and me to accept the new covenant. A relationship with Jesus is also just as simple. You can have a relationship with God tonight, and it's not complicated. It is as close to you as the tip of your tongue. You don't have to learn some ancient secret. You don't have to climb some mountain of enlightenment. Just speak the word. Of faith. Just agree with God. I like that song we sang. All you got to say is yes Lord. Yes Lord. If you want a relationship with God tonight. That's all you have to say. Yes Lord. God is as close to you as the tip of your tongue. Repent. Trust in Jesus. Verse 15. See I have set before you today life and death. Good, death, and evil. Moses is about to make this choice very simple. It's either life or death. It's either either good or evil. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commandments, His statutes, and His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. Obey God and live. You'll experience victory. You'll be blessed. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. Obey and live. Disobey and die. Moses then tells them, verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. And my final statement to you tonight, choose life. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths that we've talked about tonight. May we mull over and meditate upon your word. As we go through your word now, Lord, may your word go through us. And Lord, just as we move week by week, week by week, line upon line, verse upon verse, chapter upon chapter, week upon week, month upon month, even year upon year. Continue, Lord, to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, we know it's a lifelong process, but we're thankful that we've begun and that we're involved and that you're working in our lives. For we truly, I want you to be glorified in us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen.